Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeberry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week on TDR, gun culture versus gun control. In our deep dive today, we'll address the issue of guns in light of last week's tragedy in Michigan. What are the real issues driving the use and misuse of guns, and what solutions exist that anyone can agree upon? And encourage your cringe, Better.com's CEO gets blasted. AOC called a smash and grab denier and Twitter's new controversial media policy. Did a unicorn CEO trim his workforce responsibly to drive accountability? Or did an egotistic elite kill corporate culture in the name of efficiency? Is a popular congresswoman calling for nuanced conversation over a complex issue? Or is she tone deaf while refusing to face a growing problem? And finally, was the poor rollout of a new social media policy only a bump in the road to creating a safer online environment? Or was it clear evidence that more censorship is never the solution? This and more this week on TDR. So the interesting thing about this topic is that just today, because I knew we were going to talk about guns. Mm -hmm. So just today in my son's school, Catholic school, um, they, well, actually this happened last night originally that... Somebody was in one of the bathrooms in the gymnasium and written in graffiti was a a threat that basically said, St. Bernard, you're going to get yours. This is my son's high school. You're going to get yours. And it had today's date on it and a picture of a gun. Oh, my God. Wow. Just today. So then, so then of course, all the parents got notified last night. We got a little bit more information. A lot of kids didn't show up to school today. They canceled activities after school, so that's why the my son's they game got they moved. They didn't cancel the school day? They didn't cancel the school day. They they called the the cops, basically, and I found out after the fact that they actually didn't file a police report. They actually just called like a contact at the police mm. station. And so they had like black and whites on the campus today and that kind of thing. And you know, thank God no no incidents happened. But it literally happened today, the 8th of December, that we had a situation like this. And what I heard from the administrators was that apparently this has been going on. A lot of this similar thing has been happening all along schools on the West West Coast. There was an incident in Santa Monica. There was an incident up in San Francisco. There was a bunch of other things of like these anonymous messages mm-hmm. 
like being left in sort of publicly visible places with dates and kind of like we're going to do this. So I don't know if if that's a, you know, kind of a social media driven thing where it's like, hey, here's a way to freak people out and let's do it all at the same time or whatever. But it was crazy that they said that this is like has happened now in several different schools, mm-hmm. public, private, Catholic, not um, in these different states in the last several weeks in high schools. I think all of these events end up being um, you have to worry about copycats or people using that as an excuse to just cause chaos, disruption. Part of it, I'm sure, it could be also be some kids fucking around. Let's be honest. But like, it could be. But the coordination is the part that worries me. It's like, how does that yeah, happen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, I mean, that I think now with social media, it becomes. I mean, it becomes way easier to coordinate those things. Right. For something to become like an idea, even a bad idea, to all of a sudden, without <laughs> much coordination, to become coordinated. Right. right. It's, it's part of the the challenge that you have now. Yeah, pretty, pretty, you know, and and then so That's I was super scary. Though. I was, yeah, of course, it's it's very concerning, and and um, you know, I was talking to my wife, and she's like, okay, so you're the you're the principal. What would you do? And I said, okay, well, for me, first of all, we're in the you know practically the middle of December. I think that I would say, you know, for the balance of the school year till we get to the holiday, it's just for this particular school, let's just do Zoom. We've been doing Zoom for a while. I would probably do that. Um, I would, you know, uh, have the teachers in some way broken up. It's a very small school. It's got like 300 students in it. So I would have the teachers um, run some kind of play around mental health and mental wellness Mm -hmm. with the students personally. So like if you've got 10 teachers, each teacher gets 10 kids or whatever it is. I don't know. But like start running that so you can actually have one-on-one interaction with kids, find out how they're doing, you know, really get out there and get beyond just teaching your your material. Mm -hmm. And then I would also, um, you know, I would consider, which happens in a lot of of, classes, and I'm sure we'll talk about it here with this deep dive, but I would consider having security on the campus, but not, we don't need cop cars. We don't need black and whites. We don't need LAPD rolling up into, into schools. In my opinion, my opinion is that having like marshals, right? Marshals that are armed, but people who actually are, they get involved with the student body. They actually know these kids' names. They work with them. St. John Bosco, or my son, it's a big football school for those who may not know. It. It's like one of the biggest, one of the best football programs in the country. Um, they, my son went there for one year, huge school. They make tons of money in terms of tuition. It's like a very well thought of school. They have an an arm marshal and that dude knows every kid by name. They all know him. They high five and whatever. So he's not a cop in that sense, but people know that he's there and he's, and he's armed and like, you could see his gun, like it's on his hip. Yeah. And so I think that that kind of thing to me starts making a lot more sense in a world where there are weapons of all kinds on either side of this equation. So it'd be a series of things, but it's just crazy that we're talking about gun control and gun culture today when this just happened at my son's school. And I think that's the part, right, in terms of how do you respond to these to these threats because they're real, man. And, and, it, it, and it could also not be, right, be someone, to your point, it could be a social thing. People are just kind of jumping on it to create, create chaos. But you have to – you can't just take it for granted because, unfortunately, it just happens so, happens so often. Yeah, just happened recently. It happened recently. I mean, part of the reason we're having this conversation, obviously, was what happened in, in Michigan. But, and even that one, right, if you, if, if you read what happened with that kid, you know, he was – what caught the attention of the teacher is the fact that he had d- done this drawing where he was basically like had blood everywhere. Someone like looked like they were shot, and he was saying in the drawing that he needed help. Right? I mean, it's it's like of course you can go back and play Monday morning quarterback with all of it, but 
you brought this point up to me once That's... before about hip hop artists. Was it Juice World when Juice World died, or some one of these guys? And you were like, listen to the lyrics. Oh, yeah. The lyrics of all these songs are like, especially with him, or maybe it was Triple uh, X, Tentacion, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. All these cats are like, when they you read their music, it's like, dude, they're like, help me, but you won't help me because I'm famous. Like, it literally right. is like an instruction yeah, manual. Yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of it sort of speaks to the, the need to, um, to be very, not just vigilant and very proactive about engaging kids in their mental health and actually talking to them, the kids that are having problems that are, because that's that's what a lot of times is being the case, right? These kids that are maybe sometimes being bullied, have issues at home, a whole set of reasons, right? Um, that's, it becomes so important, right? So look, if part of what this is, what what this starts to happen is that people just continue to be much more sensitive. Because even in this case, there was a little bit of that that and they, almost caught it. Yeah. Did they arrest the parents too? Yeah, they arrested the parents. Because they knew about the drawing and didn't do anything. They, they got arrested. You know, I actually hadn't <clears throat> read fully in terms of part of the, like all the reasons why they got arrested. But I think if, if I want to summarize it at a high level, it's just a, never, a level of negligence. As it relates to how, like weapons, giving their, I think they gave the kid as a, a weapon as well as a birthday gift, and sort of taking the whole thing for even when they were called up to the to the to the, to the principal to talk about this thing, they were very dismissive about the whole thing. A uh, level of, I think that it's the negligence that I think is why they're being also um, why they got arrested. Yeah. Right? Um. So that so that's a little bit different dynamic there, but what what's your, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. you know as a starting point because I know that there's a lot of stats and stuff that you yeah. pulled, and I, I get that the it's a you know there's a lot to talk about in this topic, but just what's your perspective on the baseline, the baseline, which is let's look at high schools for right now just to isolate something. Mm-hmm. What's your baseline thought on? You know, um, protecting the students in the school in a physical location with guns. In other words, what's your POV right. on armed security at schools? I know neither one of us wishes it had to be, but I'm just yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think if it's in the form that you described, I had that in my high school as well, right? This was obviously a while ago, but that's because we had like riots, we had kids getting shot. Like it was, you know, there was a lot of violence that was happening where, where I was, you know. So it was a form of protection. But it wasn't so much about worried about something like this where a, a student would want to shoot other students, but more to protect students from other things that were happening around the school. Mm. Does that make sense? It was before like the high school getting shot up by a student. Like it wasn't. No. It was the, before the, Columbine. The, the concern wasn't, right. Yeah. It wasn't that a student was going to, you know, flip a switch and try to like do a mass mass shooting. It was the concern was there's gangs that are around here who have right. issues with students. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I witnessed a cheerleader get shot right in front of me. Mm. From a, from a gang that was basically, she just happened to be wrong, one of those wrong place, wrong time, walking across the streets at two as one car full of gang members was driving by, and another two gang members were walking by. They start throwing gang signs. The car turns around, starts shooting at each other, and this poor young girl gets caught in the crossfire. Gets caught in the crossfire. So that was a lot of what what you know people were very concerned with was the violence that was around the school, less about what was happening in the school. So we had a similar dynamic where there was. Police combination of police presence, but also folks like I would, I would probably describe similar to what, the, what you described. Yeah, maybe they're not marshals, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's I know like, what you mean. Yeah. It's someone that it's a, it's an armed security guard kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So that I don't mind. I think part of it there's a practical and real and reality issue that we have to deal with. That in some cases, it has become dangerous for different reasons. Sometimes because of the environment that schools are in and and people are growing up. Sometimes because of the potential threat of what's happening with the schools. I don't have an issue with that. What I have an issue with 
broadly is is this this po- a point of orientation people have that the solve for gun problem is more guns. Mm-hmm. Like that as a as a general statement, I am completely against that. What people are saying, well, let's just arm all the teachers. Let's be honest. Like that's part of the problem. When you give more guns to people who this is not what they do. If it's you're a teacher, that's not their thing. Yeah. The likelihood that they will end up shooting someone by how mistake would you, or yeah. see what I'm saying? Like, of like, course, I wouldn't want that either. But how would you feel about a teacher who wanted or whatever in a state where you could do that like if they said listen you know this is part of me being aware of the situation i want to have a gun i am a gun owner i do hunt i do target shoots like i think it could change it for you no i think it to me having teachers have guns sends the wrong message to students as being the enemy rather than being the students, mm-hmm. which is different than having someone that is there to protect, that that is their yeah. job. That everyone understands think, yeah. that is what they're there for, and therefore them being, I don't think it has a different dynamic than saying, oh, okay, we have someone that we know if something happens, there's at least a person here who is trained, this is their job. Yeah. But the act of teaching and self-defense, I think are two I, very yeah, different things, I and think, it has a dynamic I, that I think that I completely agree with you, and I think that the, 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 the dynamic of learning uh, would necessarily be impacted unless the class happened to be on like, I don't know, how to be a paratrooper or something. Maybe in that context, it would work. In any other context, it's it would completely change it, dynamic, yeah. number one. Number two, though, the one thing that I would put a little bow on what you said, though, for me, the importance of having the security, I mean, not just black and whites and cops, but I also don't mean like some secure, like a rent-a-cop. I don't mean security in that sense. I mean somebody who is invested in the student yeah, no, body. I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's your job. Like that's what you do. And you're wearing plain clothes, but you're, you're like, I can that, see your gun. That's how it was. Yeah, that's how it was in my high school, man. Like the, the, the guys that were security, they knew the kids. They say hi to everyone. They, and I think part of the reason, you kind of have to do that because it was, you know, they have to, they're like, they're not teachers, yeah, they're not. Oh, it's students. They're somewhere in the, in the middle. In the so middle, you have to be able to like connect with kids a little bit because if something's going on and you should know, you gotta be able to, like. They go to the football game. Almost they go like to the basketball like, game. Who, who, I don't call them snitches, but like, who's the people that can tell them the info that they need to know that hey, something's going on. We're hearing rumors at the football game that someone starts talking about coming in and shooting it up. Like, you need to know that. Mm-hmm. And unless there's trust between kids and that person, they're not going to know it. They're not going to know. Yeah, right. So I. So why I, hasn't I think that, that model? Because I don't see that very much. I mean, why hasn't that model stuck around? I see like this kind of idea of like let's have metal detectors and lots of bars on windows and all this stuff, which seems really well, bad. The. And then, like, let's not do anything. Guns are evil. So, like, everything's white. It's like the, you see what I'm saying. I, I don't know, Charlie. I think some of the. I mean, this is not coming from an informed point point of view, so I'll be the first to admit it. But. When I hear about t- typically mass shootings of students doing this with other students, they tend to not be in urban cities where there's already like some level of violence that is happening there. Uh, and I think part of it is the so unexpected that they're, that people have their guard way down. Mm. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I think there's a dynamic there because once again, I hadn't thought about it until you described it. Like, oh crap, like I, I was in high school. Like we talked about this the other day. We're like, I graduated high school in 95. Mm-hmm. There was already there, but it was for real reason. There was real like danger that was happening outside of our high school and inside of our high school where you needed to have that kind of dynamic there. And especially in LA in those years. I mean, that's especially crazy. Especially where you came years. up. Oh yeah, yeah especially in LA in those years. It was really crazy, yeah. right? So you would have that in all of these high schools. Once again, mass shootings of students to other students wasn't really an, a thing. Now, there was crime between students and students, and that's part of the reason why people were just much more aware of it. 
as a potential model, I think, yeah, maybe this, as these things happen, I think community needs to have that kind of honest conversation with themselves. Like, do we want to introduce this kind of element into our schools? Because we feel that it's something that we need to be much more conscious of. I think if you do only that, that's a problem. If you do that and add more access to tutors, to people that are more like, I don't call them psychologists, people that actually understand some of those inner dynamics that may be happening with some of these kids, that can talk to kids that are that are starting to show signs, then the combination of, I will be much more for you know, that idea. I, I don't want to be skeptical on people who are mental health professionals in any way, because I do obviously understand that's a skill and, and you have to go to school and learn it and all that, but... Every time I hear about the signs, even you just said it, right? The letter that this kid did up in Michigan. Do you have to be a psychologist to see? No. That's what no, I'm saying. So don't. it's not even, it's even like that you're is like. You're training to like, to like, what are things to recognize, right? What are some right. telltale signs it's you It's almost like you're for? over-solving in that regard. It's like, can we just bring the general sense of awareness so that people, like, it's almost like the campaign at the airport about see something, say something, yeah. right? We, what's the equivalent of that in the school world? where it's like, I don't need to have a four-year degree in psychology to understand that a kid who does a, a, a painting or a drawing with, you know, people bl- shot up and says, I need help. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. To recognize it, you're right. I think everyone needs to have a certain level of training to just be able to recognize some of the signs. My, my comment on there is that then what happens? What is the next step? Mm-hmm. Where is the treatment part of it? Where is the then having the in-depth conversation with this kid to understand, like, what's like what's causing there what's going on there yeah that's really more what i refer to but you're right i mean you can't have enough of you really need the teachers to Mm -hmm. be much more invested and frankly to know their students right part of the issues are getting into if you have you know classroom with too many students it's just hard to do if you're a teacher yeah there's a great psa that i saw not too long ago that actually showed uh it was a video maybe you came across this it was a video of like an everyday an, an any day in high school and it showed like people walking into homeroom, people walking in the hallways. And as a viewer, you think it's about something. I know exactly. What you're you know what I'm talking about? about? I know exactly. And then at the end, it was like, did you catch the eight things that were in there? Right. And it's the well, kid it, in the back. It turns into a, ma- into a mass shooting, right? It turns into a mass shooting. And then they rewind and show you this one kid that kept on like showing signs of like not talking to people, mm-hmm. writing like really violent things in, yeah. in in his notepad, and he was always not front and center of the camera he was always off center so it was easy to neglect because part of the storyline was showing like these two young kids in love yeah kind of like puppy love and and you get kind of caught up in all those stories and what you miss is is like the real story that's happening across all of these scenes i think that was really well done and i think it's the kind of the problem how hard it is to actually catch it does but it's a problem of attention it's a problem of interest like once you go back and look there then it's not like it's hard to see yeah you said it's about paying attention um, the, the point that you made about that a lot of these things don't happen in urban areas, I mean, it's certainly, I, I know that that's, you, you said you don't have the data. What we do have data on is who the mass shooters tend to be. Mm-hmm. And they do tend to be younger white white yeah. kids. In yeah. fact, you know, side note, but an interesting one, when my son first went to his freshman year, because mm-hmm. he goes to a black high school, basically, um, the way that the kids made fun of him was to call him like shooter because he's white. <laughs> That's terrible. It's terrible. That's terrible. It's terrible, terrible. right? That's like... But they were like, if there's a likelihood someone's going to do it, it's going to be like... That's... But that's... I mean, it's crazy, uh, right? To think about that kind of like racism in a way. But but it's like... But anyway, it just... It is true. It's based on some truth anyway. Yeah, there's some truth. Now, there's a lot of gun violence that happens everywhere, Of course. Um, But this type, I guess. This specific type. That's why in thinking about how to talk about this, there is the mass shooting phenomena that continues to happen in this country, right? That's one. 
in this lot or mass shootings, right, that happened. And this is obviously the latest one that just happened, just adds to that list. And that's something that's been ongoing. And many times when we talk about, uh, you know, there's these moments of where there is a push, although always seems to kind of lose steam pretty quickly, of any kind of gun reform. It's always around these really large, tragic events. Mm-hmm. But then there's the broader which is why I thought it would be interesting to talk about that our sort of really the gun control versus gun culture that we have in this country because we do have a gun culture. When you look at how accessible it is across the country and then how that accessibility then turns into usage of guns within various types of crimes relative to other countries, that's when you start seeing this. That's when the stats to me look are really eye-opening, right? And the part of the question that I asked myself was like, so if guns were out of the equation – would you still have the same level of crime and just using a knife instead? My Maybe, guess, but yeah. but it's but it's hard to say because there is a there is a piece of escalation. Yeah, I think a fatality the, that happens when a gun is part of the equation. Is I think the point. part I think the the escalation, the accessibility, the lethality, and the finality of a gun is puts it as a weapon at a different level than other guns. I mean, that I think anybody who's thinking of it logically can, uh, even if you're pro-gun or whatever. So I think people can can do that. The thing that's really interesting that never gets talked about in this debate, and to the extent you and I have talked about it, we touch on it briefly, but is the is a question of suicide. It's a huge chunk. It's a majority, It's a, it's a majority. It's it the majority. majority. And to me, I think that the irony is a lot of the crimes that get committed, not all of them by far, but a lot of them get committed by guns that are not well stored, stolen, black market, blah, blah. So theoretically, reducing the total number of guns would reduce those as well. Ironically, the thing that drives a lot of gun sales are when you tell people you're going to take guns away or when you say something like defund the police or mm-hmm. when you say whatever. I mean, gun sales right now are through the roof. There's they have more been guns, all 2020 AM. All, exactly. Since, right? So all of that stuff drives gun yeah. sales. But it seems to me that all of that contributes, like the first place it contributes is to an increase in uh, suicide. I mean, I, I was, so some of the data that we, that, that I pulled up and I had available for this conversation was from the CDC, right? So this is like 2019 figures, going back to the, what you just said, right? The total number of gun deaths that happened in 2019 was 38,355. Of that 38,000, 23, almost 24,000 of them were directly related to suicide. So twenty. So what is that as a percentage? That's like eighty. No, less than that. Like sixty something. But so but twenty-four still, out of forty. Yeah, fourteen thousand right. okay, yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. was was homicides, right? So still, you're still talking about maybe about sixty forty split between um, suicide versus versus homicide. But even in that, so let's let's think about it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. If guns weren't in play, and someone's trying to take their life the effectiveness of taking your life with a gun or something else is just significantly higher. Like I have to imagine more people survive when a gun isn't involved that is thinking about taking their life. It would definitely, that when a gun is, is it involved. would definitely. So the greatest, the, the, ones who, the ones who commit suicide the most are men and the preferred. Uh, so on a percentage basis, it's men and the preferred use of, uh, of killing themselves is, is gunshot, lethal gunshot wound. So at the very least where you have, um, uh, poisoning, cars, hanging, things like sure. that, more broadly, on the other gender, uh, you know, across the uh, the, the gender. Um, Odin, right? Odin. People that purposely Odin. Exactly. Um, so, so at the very least, I would think that you would be you. You'd cut it down. I think some. I think if somebody really wants to end their life, and I think in a culture which in some quadrants or sectors supports that kind of idea. I think you'll probably still have people try to find a way to kill themselves. Sure. But I do think that that impulsive, and there is impulsive suicide. I just had um, 
a guy on my other show who uh, who lost his daughter in 2016 to suicide. And the way he described it to me was it was an impulsive suicide. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm just at the lowest place. I just fell off a cliff. I'm depressed, man. I just don't know where to turn. And that gun's in that drawer. Oh, yeah. You bet. It's, it's just, just super easy. It's super easy. It gives you no time or very little time to change your mind, right? Like, right. think about people that want to go jump off a bridge. You get to get there, right? Like, just, just on that act of having to get there before right. doing it. People that want to OD, you, you have like there's a process there. You want to drown yourself, like that's a really hard process as well to go or like lock yourself up in your garage and turn, turn on your car. car. That's gonna t- all of these take time. It's the quickness of it. It's yeah. I mean, th- th- so it's it is. So why aren't suicide? Why isn't suicidality talked about more in this debate? I have a thesis theory, but why do you think it is that we don't talk? It's a number one. It's got plurality of the cases, and if we're trying to minimize death by gun. Why wouldn't we be talking about this? I I don't know, Charlie, because I don't think at this point, I think we have such a gun culture in this country that it doesn't matter. Like a, a person can come in and shoot up kids in a school mm-hmm. and it doesn't change laws for gun. People are still feel the same way. Like, yeah, I get it, but I still think it's more important to people to own guns. And we were talking about kids being killed that they weren't killing themselves, that literally like whatever they were, I forgot what was it, um, I forgot what the age it were, but, but you know, like really, really young kids getting yeah. killed. Like, and you Sandy Hook, you you're could, talking about? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. could think, you can't. Elementary. Yeah, you can't think of almost a more like defenseless group that should create tons of empathy. And when that group doesn't cause a change in gun, in, in law, gun policy, gun control, gun culture, then to me it's like, I but throw my it, hands like, yeah, there's what nothing is it going to take? Like, so, a guy that gonna is, take? so a guy that is struggling with depression, drug addict, that has that. Has had that hasn't lived a uh, a virtuous life. What was the thing that we talked yeah, about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You think that guy's gonna cross empathy for people if he ends up taking his own life and he doesn't right. hurt? He's not gonna hurt anyone else, just himself. No. If you can't even get a kid who was killed in his class to create empathy to change gun culture, I don't think anyone else is going to. Yeah, but that seems to me a pretty fatalistic argument. Super though, because, fatalistic because, argument. because then it's like, okay, then what do we do? Since nothing can move the needle, then we should just give up. My point on this is that well, two points. Number one is I think that. The idea of, hey, we just had these death of these young people and there's not even common sense gun regulations and this kind of fatalistic thing. It bears mentioning what exactly those gun regulations are that are being proposed because they run the gamut. And I think that somebody saying, hey, I don't necessarily believe that I should have to go through whatever for this constitutional right – is different than saying, can we do a background check, which I think most reasonable people agree with, even though it's not the law, right? In, yeah, in most... but even that one hasn't really, I mean, how many mass shootings have we had? And that still is not law, right? That you could still go to a gun show and buy a gun there on the spot without any background check. Right. We can't even get to that. I mean, part of the where I'm coming from, look, there's something, I didn't even capture who the name of the person was, but days after this mass shooting in, in, in Michigan, there was a Republican uh, representative who basically took a, like a family picture I saw that. with guns. They were like, dude, you don't think that that is maybe bad taste? Of course. Even if you are all pro-guns? Of course. It just seems like you're going to pick a, a, a something to kind of throw in people's face. Like, yeah. really? Like, you're flaunting it at this point. Yeah, it's really, really bad taste. And I think there's always going to be those outliers. But the question is, what can we kind of gather support around, right? So, look, my, the, the points that I'm making is I believe, and these are two different points, but I think mm-hmm. they're related. Point number one is I believe that we don't talk about the number one cause of gun death, 
which is suicide and has been for years right. and years and years because it is not a political bedfellow to most of the people who want gun reform. That's be- that's why. I think that the idea of uh, that, um, you know, the right to kill yourself or whatever you want to call it, assistant dying or whatever the term is, I think that is a bedfellow politically of a lot of people who are looking for gun control. And I think that's the reason why we don't link those two things together. And I think that that's a mistake. I think you should be able to talk about Hey, I believe that somebody should be able to end their life. Okay. But there's a lot of people who are killing themselves with guns who maybe are not in the right state of mind. Maybe you're mentally ill, maybe you're whatever. And you should be able to separate those things and talk about the issues, even if that's your point of view, which of course I don't agree with, but even if that's your point of view. So that's one point that I'm making. The second one that I'm making is like, what are the things that we can implement that we agree with that would actually change this outcome, right? Background checks. Like, what are they? I will say the first one, though, the way, if I'm understanding your argument, I don't think it's true. I don't think people are not making a case more on, on, on having stricter gun laws to reduce suicide because people are, are pro suicide. I I don't think that's actually, I think it's actually frankly completely disconnected. I think part of the reason why it doesn't happen, it goes back to that as a group to use as the reason to actually change gun laws is one that is hard to rally people around because I think people are not that empathetic, especially when you're talking people that already have a lot of other issues going on that to your point can say, if you take away the gun, if they're really that motivated, they're going to do it anyways. They'll mm-hmm. just find a different way. Mm-hmm. So making that the reason for someone that's just going to find, like they've decided they do not want to be here anymore, is really hard to create I empathy agree. on around that. I agree. So, but I, you're kind of making my you're kind of making my point. You you don't. But, I, I don't but, know but if you I, know I you're making I don't my think, point. But you're you're yeah. making the point that like people should be able to kill themselves. No, that's not what or, I'm saying. Or at it's all. not as important if somebody wants to kill themselves. It's right. more important than if they kill elementary school students. Yeah. No. And, no, no. So you, you misunderstand my point. I'm not at all advocating that people should be able to kill themselves. Put that. I'm saying people, no one should be able to kill themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Pause. All I'm saying is to use that group of someone that is highly that could be potentially highly motivated to to want to kill themselves is a tough one to create empathy with other people as to why gun laws should change. Because their argument would be like, yeah, but that person's going to want to kill themselves anyway. So you, maybe you slow them down a little bit. Because if they were going to do it, they're going to do it anyway. That's why I think that as a group to rally around and to use it as the reason to reduce or to have stricter gun laws, even though that's the biggest use case to your point, it's a tough one people to use that as the as the use case, which is very different than me saying or anyone saying they should just be able to kill themselves and I, therefore I, supporting as a support. You may I'm be, sure there's you, I'm sure there's people that that believe that yeah, and that's fine. You may be right, but, but I, I'm not. You may be but right, I, but, I but I do wrong, think that there's a, a, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance in the idea that I'm against guns. Who the number one thing that guns do is kill people by their own hand. I'm against them, and yet I'm okay with somebody injecting a syringe of something to kill themselves, that's okay. Yeah. So it's very, there's cognitive distance between those two positions. And I said, generally the, the, speaking, people that hold those are the same person. Yeah, but the, but to me, the biggest cognitive dis- dissonance has to be being pro-life and being pro-guns. Like those two things are are contradicted concepts. As a matter of fact, I saw an article, because kind of, I was trying to figure out, mm-hmm. is there like a specific, like what the correlation, I can't even find it, frankly. I've, I have numbers on conservative versus liberal and it's, and it's very skewed as mm-hmm. you wouldn't expect. But when I was doing research on it, what I found was like a bunch of articles, people saying how pro-gun is a pro-life stance. And the argument was very much about saving or being like yeah. using your guns to protect people. And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, I hear you. Yeah. And I'm sure, and there are cases, obviously police use guns. And for the most part, even though there is a lot of police shootings, it is done to protect against crime. Yeah. But to make that kind of stance of like, 
it's really hard when you look at the data for the U.S. versus any other country that that actually holds up. I would agree with you that that there are a lot of people who consider themselves conservative or pro-life who are much more pro-gun than they would be, say, pro-self-defense or something like that. And I don't think – I think that there is some cognitive dissonance that begins to creep in at that point. Not to the same degree because we're talking about two people killing themselves, identically the same thing, not being pro-life and having a object that can kill someone. But let's put that aside for a second. But I do think that if you divorce the idea of self-defense from a gun – like, if that's not what it's about, if it's just about killing people, yeah, then it's complete cognitive dissonance. If a gun is only to kill somebody, and that's what you believe it should be for, to kill them illegally, or when you're not being threatened, or when there's no reason to do it, if essentially you're an assassin or a murderer, right. yeah, well, well, obviously. Yeah, the, 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 the thing here is that you can say it's not only for that, but like one of the stats that I, that I wanted to talk about, right, is that, so they compared the percentage of homicides that are gun-related in the U.S., Yeah. Versus all other countries. What's the number of different countries, right? U.S., 73% of all homicides were gun-related. Mm-hmm. Compared to England and Wales, is 4%, right? Compared to Canada, is 39%. Compared to Australia, it's 22%. As a percentage of the total homicides. You're saying Correct. they're finding other ways to kill them, but it's not guns. Finding other, other ways to kill them. But, but so it ends, up, it ends up being a very effective and very often used tool for death. Sure. Right? So that's why, to me, you're like, yeah, of course you can use a gun for a lot of other things. I could, mm-hmm. you know... But it is. But to say that is not a very effective and very often used tool that, right. where the end goal is someone dying, like that's kind of what it is. Yeah, it's what it's. You can for. say the reason. It's that what it's. Protected, it's what it's for. But you can it, put a cause behind it and say yeah. no. Sometimes there's good reasons. Sometimes there's bad reasons. Okay, that's fine. But for it, sure. But in terms of where the end outcome of usage, yeah, is someone at minimum being very badly hurt, more than likely than right. dying. It just is. But isn't part of your part of that data point would be to determine whether or not removing the guns or the fact that guns aren't there reduces the total number as well? Yeah, it will. And I don't have that yeah. one here, but it is also a big part of it, right? A big part of it. It's yeah. also a big part of it. So and the other thing that we were talking about in terms of attitudes towards gun laws. Mm-hmm. So this is from Pew, right? So just, just so we can see how that's changed. So they tracked the data from 17 to 21, right? And to see what percentage of people thought that they should be more strict than they are today in terms of, of gun laws, right? Mm-hmm. And that number in 17 was 52% of general population thought that they should be more strict, right? So a little bit north than half. Um, and it's now in 21, 53%. Like you've had a little bit of up in the, like it went up to like 60 and nine and 19, and then it's gone. So the reality is, in spite of a lot of things that have happened, I think people I, I know I have a very fatalistic view of this one. But in this country, I don't, I don't know, man. I think we are very obsessed as a country about having guns. And I just don't know who needs to die, literally, for yeah, people to, to I care. I don't think it's that, though. I think that's where your you're, you're kind of argument they, 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 what, they, what would it be? Well, I think it's actually proposing. For, for me, I'm yet to hear like what a proposal is. In other words, like what is the proposal? Gun check. People, people can't even get behind gun checks broadly. What does that mean, gun uh, check? No, I'm sorry. Uh, background checks. Background okay. checks. Okay. Okay. That as its as its own thing, people can't even rally on that. Let's, which which, yeah. which I, I think you and I would agree. It's yeah. probably one that most reasonable people will say. And hey, they do. It probably the stats, makes sense that the, the stats they show do. that. The polls show that. But yet we can't even get that one through. We can't because generally speaking, the way that our government works, and you've talked about this before, is that in that very reasonable proposal, they mm. might pack in 6,000 other things. And then we spend the next right. six months arguing. We don't get anything done. What do you make of – I agree with you on background checks. Mm-hmm. 
And by the way, we should make a call if we just keep doing this deep dive and then maybe have a second episode that's just Courage or Cringe because we're uh-huh. running really long. But yeah. one thing that I would that I would ask is, what do you make of the case conceding background checks? Let's put that aside. Uh-huh. But l- what do you make of the case where somebody says, okay, Jesus, we have a background check. Wouldn't stop the thing that just happened in Michigan. Wouldn't have stopped the one that we – wouldn't sure. have stopped Columbine. Wouldn't have stopped – so, okay, you got it. Mm-hmm. Now what? Because it, yeah, none yeah. of those would have been impacted by what, what just I, happened. I, I think – if we want to really have a step change in, mm-hmm. in, in the issue that we have with guns in the U.S., we have to change overall gun culture. I think that's a hill that is too high to climb for, for us as a country. I don't think as a country it's been too much ingrained in the DNA of what the U.S. is. And for good or bad, and you could be agree with it or not, but I just think it's one that is just not – that's not going to change. We're not going to go from all of a sudden being the number one nation in terms of ownership, right, mm-hmm. to all of a sudden dropping to being top 10, top 15. Look, even when we look at a number of numbers, right, per uh, top 10 civilian group uh, gun-owning countries, U.S., for every 100 residents, we have 120 guns. The next one before, <laughs> after that is Yemen. At 52 guns for every 100 residents. Mm-hmm. We are so ahead of everyone in terms of gun ownership. I don't think that's going to change. And that's, uh, that's before COVID. Who this knows, is, yeah, knows before, yeah, this is actually 2018 data. Let me ask so, you, so how many, I, people, I do how think many people die a year by gun? You said 60,000, roughly? Uh, that was, no, in, in 2020. gun-related deaths, and this was in 19, was 38,000. 38,000 38,000, yeah, yeah. And that and was 14,000 was, yeah, that's what they okay. have. Yeah, that's what they have it. Okay. Do, uh, just a quick question related to the same kind uh-huh. of uh, thought that you were sharing. Do you think that guns have saved more, less, or the same 38,000 lives? In that, in other words, like we're just talking about guns Is that, that a are, net negative or net positive is that you're saying? Yeah, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, I, I definitely put them in the camp that they've caused more deaths than they actually have saved. Than saved. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. But there's still some impact you would concede of, of people because, protecting know, their home, just, protecting just a loved with, one, doing start whatever. Start with police having guns. Yeah, I think in general, I think it's a good thing, even though I'm obviously against whenever there is a shooting of someone that is unarmed so, you know, like, and it happens. But, yeah. but in general, it's, that's a good thing for them to have guns. I'm not, I'm not – and in, and in some cases, I think for families to have for, for home ownership, sure, to protect your – we go back to when we were talking about the other day with which the whole idea of self-defense. If it's self-defense with your home and protecting your okay, I could definitely see the value of that. When you have more guns than population, we've gone way past that point. Yeah, like that, that yeah, you've flown through that yeah. that that start of the need to protect yourself or protect your home. Besides uh, gun registration, what else would you think would be a prescription? I think some of the types wise. of guns that we that we have available also would, would matter. Um also maybe the venues of where they could be acquired. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, frankly, I, I don't know. I, I would love to see at least background check. For me, I'm pretty happy if, they, if you do that one. If you do that one, and I think there are some guns that are just feel very unnecessary mm-hmm. to, to have, I think if you start with those two things, I think that could go a long way of at least saying that, look, at minimum, we know that people need to, same way that we, this argument is made all the time. Like, if you're going to drive a car, let's at least have a license so that you know that there's at least a little bit of sure. something that needed to happen for you to own a car. Yeah, that right? makes sense. And then I would pe- say start with that <clears throat> as a starting point. How do you feel about be- what other people might say on the other side of the fence to say, okay, let's concede those two again. Let's concede them. Sure. What about better enforcement of the existing gun laws that we have right now so that if I commit a crime with a gun, I'm actually. Yeah, for sure. Let's do both. 
Okay, because that I'm not saying don't enforce the laws that we have for sure. Right. Because a lot but of the we times, know a lot of things happen with stolen guns. A lot of things happen by felons with guns that are not legally bought, that weren't for bought sure. in we trade have, shows or online or any of these loopholes. They were just stolen. When we have right, right, right. when you have more guns than population, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of guns. The accessibility to guns is just really, really high. It's amazing to me that we only have thirty-eight. I mean, like I hate to say that, but I, I thirty-eight thousand seems like to some extent. Yeah, you could you can make like, the argument we had that seven, it be, we had seven hundred thousand people die of COVID. You know, for sure, seven, you, you uh, can make that argument. Yeah, I'm not making course, an argument. No, I'm just I'm saying, saying I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, surprised. I'm, I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, it's when you start thinking about you have more guns than people. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like how does that happen? Yeah. That, that's when you go way beyond. It's not no longer about personal protection and all that. And the reality is, we think about of that number. What percentage of people actually own guns? I forget what the, what the number is. It's mm-hmm. like forty percent. Means like forty percent is like way over indexing how much guns they actually have. Yeah. For each one of those. Guns. I used to be a gun owner many years ago. Um, I haven't been since I met my wife. Um, she wasn't comfortable with guns, and so I sold it. Um, and I haven't never felt the urge to own a gun since. I do occasionally. I have lots of friends who own guns. Have mm-hmm. gone to the gun range. Have gone shooting. Yeah, I think it's fine. Um, I, 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 it's not a thing where I, f- I feel attached to guns, you know, culturally or the sense that I need to. I do understand the 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 kind of, you know, persona and or, I don't know the 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 whole idea of the right to bear arms as being fundamental to the idea of being an American because our country is based on this idea of protecting against this kind of a tyrannical government, right? Which is really where the, where the right, where, the, where that comes from. Because we left one in England, right? It's like we left this and this was our way of kind of protecting ourselves, which is why it's enshrined in the Constitution and has been, you know. So I, I understand the importance of why it's sort of raised to that level. Right. Or why it started. Or why it started. But I've never had that attraction to it personally. And I do see the point. And I think if I could kind of wave a magic wand, I'd want to get rid of, you know, pretty much all of them you know, but I do think that, you know, people, evil finds a way. For sure. And mm-hmm. and I think we have to be, you know, clear about that. And I do think that guns have been used to achieve good ends, noble ends, to protect people, the vulnerable, et cetera, in some cases, which we also have to, mm-hmm. you know, bear in mind. And we have to think about the suicide because I think that's the biggest one. So those are my, my you know, kind of key points here. But I, I don't disagree with any of those. Beautiful. So we're on our way. We want to try to jam through Courage or yeah, Cringe? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go quick. All right, very good. Let's do it because there's some fun ones here. The first one, just it's a barrel of laughs, of hystericalness. The the better dot c the better dot com one. Hit the it, button. So first, courage or cringe. Better dot com CEO accused uh, hundreds of the 900 people he laid off on Zoom of stealing by working only two hours daily. Mm-hmm. This dude. Uh, have you seen the video? I have. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, man, yeah, it's I, gold. I watched, have I, you read some of the aftershock, the after effects of like what's happened? Uh, yeah, yeah. Some of it, I guess. So, so you may have caught other things that maybe I didn't capture. But but yeah, I did watch the video. Uh, watching on YouTube. And it's just oh man, terrible. Right. So last week, Vishal Garg, who's the founder and CEO of Better.com, which is a digital mortgage company. As mentioned, laid off you know more than nine hundred people over Zoom, right? Unicorn company. Now he in the video said it was a fifteen percent reduction of the workforce. Although most of the article that I'm now seeing, they say is about a nine percent work. Not that it matters, but in mm-hmm. terms of the actual the scale, right? Mm-hmm. And then he turns around and then later accused at least 250 of them of stealing from the company by working just two hours daily. Where did he do that, though? It said he posted it. It, it was an anonymous was post. So I don't know. Maybe it could have been in a Slack, like via Slack, like channel. Slack channel. That's kind of what I'm something. thinking. I didn't actually yeah. see where that happened, but yeah. I'm guessing it's probably Slack. Mm-hmm. Something like them. that, right? Yep. 
Now, during the Zoom call, he said, this is my second time in my career that I'm doing this, and I do not want to do this. The last time I did, uh, I did this, I cried. This time, I hope to be stronger. What a great comment. It's, it's like, yeah, we should be true. Yeah, yeah. It I hope you're stronger too. In like, the original BBC version of The Office, it's amazing, dude. Have you ever seen the original oh, yeah, BBC yeah. version? It's, it's, remember really good, remember yeah. episode, um, I think it may have been the last episode of the first season or one of the first, one of the towards the end of the, of the first season where um, Brent, uh, David Brent, who's the Michael Scott, right, right in right. that scenario. He um, gets promoted, but it's at the cost of having to lay off some of his staff. And he gathers them all together and he says, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is I've been promoted. The bad news is some of you have been laid off. And then one guy's like, that's not good news, bad news. That's bad news and irrelevant news. Why would we care that you're getting promoted? And it's kind of this same <laughs> deal this yeah, with this yeah. guy going like, listen, you're unlucky. You're the unlucky ones. It's right, like, right, right. This thing you're is the unlucky so- ones. And I hope I have the strength. So you should. It's so bad. He's like, you guys should be, maybe say a little prayer for me that I have the yeah, strength to, to get through this. Like, that would be, be helpful. I appreciate rally that. Rally to me. Rally, right. Rally that I have the strength to get through this. To get through firing you. Right. So, as mentioned in a blind message, he also wrote, you guys know that at least 250 of the people terminated were working an average of two hours a day while clocking in eight hours plus a day in Mm -hmm. the payroll system. Mm. They were stealing from you and stealing from our customers who pay the bills that pay our bills, Mm. get educated. So, I'm sure this is his commenting to the workforce in general, probably through Slack, about what he had just done. Get educated. That's another one. Like, I mean, who this guy is like, whoa, man. He's great. He later confirmed with Fortune, yeah. right, that they called him out like, "Hey, did you do this?" Like, yeah, I think I uh, say I think they could have, uh, uh, I think they could have fra- been phrased differently, but honestly, the sentiment is there, right? So he was, he admitted, he's like, maybe another I apology, said a bit. non-apology, oh, yeah. 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 Um, now, apparently, the management team used productivity data for the employees to determine, you know, who was going to get, you know, uh, who were they going to keep, who were going to fire. Things like numbers were called, answered, missed, placed, as as well, climb me, et cetera. Um, yeah. Now, afterwards, he had a town hall live stream where he basically laid out a vision for a leaner, meaner, hungrier workforce. And then check this out, which I love. And he will say, he basically said, look, they were looking to accelerate growth by telling workers to expect stricter deadlines and more attentive management than before. Yeah, none of this. So if you felt in the past that people weren't looking, slackers. well, everyone is looking now. <laughs> Bunch of slackers, right? Now, all of this came after a, an announcement of an amendment to its SPAC agreement. Right, which provided an infusion to the company of another seven hundred fifty million dollars, right, to strengthen its balance sheet. Now they're going to receive the other half of the one point five billion commitment by Aurora Acquisition Corpor- Corporation and SoftBank, the owners of the SPAC, uh, once the deal is done. Which means that they're basically looking to go public, and the company seems to be have an implied valuation of six point nine billion. Right, and you don't think that that cash infusion had some things attached to it? Like we got to get metric X to some point, metric Y to some oh, other yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, you of know, course, all of course. They, they, I'm sure they're looking at the company and say, hey, we got to, we got to get, we got to clean up our, 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 uh, our P and L. Yeah. We're going to put in more to have more in cash balance so that when we go public, we have a very strong financial position where we are. Other reasons to do it are separate than the execution of how it's done, right? So you, I, you, 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 can, think, you can think about those, those, yeah. those things, right? Because yeah. the whole idea that companies have reductions in workforce, massive ones, many or times. Or the fact that time stealing is wrong. Like, right, if that's, that's true. Right. Those are all could be all real, all true. This sucks, but it happens. Right? I think this has the hallmarks of so many bad things. I don't yeah, even yeah. can I can I just start? Just start. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a cringe, hundred percent across um, the board, the entire thing. I'm a cringe on actually him saying that he was firing 250 of them because they were stealing. Even though I agree that you shouldn't steal from companies, 
all of it because it's wrapped in this giant ball of disaster, which was this 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 deal. I think this guy should step down. I think he should step down or he should be fired. His level of arrogance and egotism that comes out on that video, mm-hmm. the the language he chose. There's also been an email that's been leaked since, which you didn't mention in yeah, your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the one where he calls he apologized. Everybody. No, 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 no. He there's a new one where he apologized now. Well, there's one that I read that was in all caps. Basically, I don't know if it was to his direct reports or some smaller group of people. It seems like it may have may have been. The entire email is in all caps. Oh, all I caps. know what you're talking about. Yeah, I did and he see calls this. them. He's like, "You guys are a bunch of dumb dolphins." You know what happens to dumb dolphins? You get caught in a net and eaten by sharks. First of all, that's not true. Number one, you don't <laughs> dolphins don't get caught in nets and then get eaten by sharks. They might drown because they can't move. Right. But it's a, he's like mixing metaphors. This is a guy who's watched like Jerry Maguire, or one of these movies, ten thousand times, right. or Boiler Room, or whatever it is, and he thinks he's some kind of wonderkind badass. I don't know what he thinks he is, but he's so immature. So that that message you're talking about came out before, like in this sort of in this controversy. But yeah. it's terrible. Like it shows exactly the kind of person you're you're, it, you know, you're dealing with. It, it's just it's so so immature. The other thing is it's clear that he has an anger against his employees, okay? Mm. That part comes across very clearly, okay? This idea of like, wake up. I'm here to wake you up. I'm going to, you know, in, enlighten you. This like kind of like, I mean, right. the ego on this guy is extraordinary, it is. It okay? Is, yeah. And then on top of all this, let's just, last point, on the practicality of, if anything, these highly, you know, stacked companies with all of these employees, if anything, they have a lot of people that look at these things and tell you how to do stuff, right? How do you fire a bunch of people over a, a, you know, a video call? First of all, you don't. Step one. If you did, here's what. You have a prepared script. Don't variate from that script. Do this. Like none of the even practical, simple stuff happened. This guy started this video call like it was the worst part of this whole thing for me, Jesus, how long it took him to get to the punchline. He's like, you know, I've got some bad news and this isn't bad for, you know, it's just I really struggle with this. And I had to do this once before and I cried. But, you know, we, we have to deliver bad news. It's like 20 minutes of lead up. I'm like, you start with, hey, we have a, a, an unfortunate announcement that we're going to be laying off some people today. And you've been impacted by this decision. A lot went into this. Like you start yeah. with that. It's like having these people on the edge of their seat for 15 minutes as you pontificate about how difficult this is for you. I'm like. Even if everything was a legit thing, the fact that he just didn't get any of that right is just so bad. Oh, and last point, three executives quit in the last 24 hours. The CMO, the head of corporate communications, and the head of PR because of how badly this dude has botched this and they don't want anything to do with him. I think that's the first of many, hopefully. That's, wow, yeah. By the way, so the one that I was referring to, he did now put out a another communication apologizing for the way that he handled the layoffs last week, right? In the, in the commission, he said, I failed to show the appropriate amount of respect and appreciation for the individuals who were affected and for their contributions to better, to better right? As I own the decision to do, to do the layoffs, but in communicated, it blundered, uh, in communicating it, I blundered the execution. In doing so, I embarrassed you, right? This is all what he, what he said. I agree with you entirely for all the reasons you restated. I think the biggest thing to me is he showed no empathy at Zero. all. Zero. At all. And at the end of the day, you know, these are people's lives being impacted. And he took no, there was no consideration to that point at all. Even the whole calling out, calling them out after the fact, really, if you're having 250 out of 950, out of 900, so more than 20% of the people that you fired is because they were, they were literally working two hours out of the whole day. 
that's on you. That's shitty. That's called shitty management. That's a lot of people that if you knew and it took you that long to figure out that you weren't tracking people's productivity and they were still logging that much and you use that as a part of the reason, like then you're telling me you're not just a terrible communicator, and terrible leader. You're also a terrible manager, right? Like you're, you're also doing a terrible job managing your, your, your workforce. That's on you, right? And to show, and even like, once again, that's the case, you have to show like people are still being impacted at a really terrible time of year. It's always hard. People getting laid off at the end of the year. I get that. And, to not have any empathy at all, I just thought the whole thing was was was, was terrible. I'm really I hadn't heard the the fact that you mentioned about uh, some of the leadership having quit. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I think this is the kind of guy that should get like booted out of this company. I agree with you on that. Hopefully that happens because you you, you don't need people like this driving driving organizations and impacting so many so many people's lives. I wouldn't want anything to do with this dude. Not based on the little that I know. I mean, again, on a human level, you know me, I would. Yeah. But I'm just saying on a practical level, no thank you. So cringe, cringe across the board. Uh, just, yep. Just terrible. Uh, okay, so let's let's move on to the next one. So courage or cringe, GOP business, uh, slam, businesses slam, GOP and businesses slam AOC for doubting existence of smash and grab robberies, calling it tone deaf and offensive. Interesting. All right, so earlier this week, uh, New York Representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, better known as a notorious okay, here, AOC. Okay, here's a dumb question for you. Uh-huh. So on her on Instagram, she is AOC. Do you think that she has to register as that, or she went back in after she got big and changed her name to AOC? Because it still says Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the like title. Do you see what I'm saying? Like the thing with the blue check mark mm-hmm. says AOC. Do you think that's before, like when she first set up her Instagram account, or since she's been like famous? Since uh, the brand has hit. Oh, since the brand. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when the brand started. Uh, uh, well, it started with her being successful in office and her first. No, no, me, meaning people, because I could also see she has a long name. So, I could, so also it's easy to call her AOC. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a nickname that she had for a long time. I don't know. I don't know if her either calling herself, people calling her that started once she got elected or something that was been going on for a while. And if she did, maybe she changed the account. I mean, I have no idea. Okay. But, um, Anyway, so she caused, I mentioned, she caused some controversy for her comments, right? Well, so she was being interviewed where she was questioned on the scale of the smash and grab robberies that have been occurring, right? So in the interview, she said, we have to talk about the specifics because, for example, we're actually seeing a lot of these allegations of organized retail theft that are not actually panning out. Mm -hmm. I believe it's a Walgreens in California cited it, but the data didn't back it up. Right now, to this, Walgreens immediately responded like, "Organized retail crime is one of the top challenges that's facing the company, and crime has evolved beyond shoplifting and petty theft to the sale of stolen and counterfeit goods online." Right? Yeah. There was also the EVP of Communications for the Retail Industry Leaders Association, Jason Brewer, who said respectfully, "The Congresswoman has no idea what she's talking about. Both the data and stack of video evidence makes fairly clear that this is a growing problem in need of solutions." If she's not concerned with organized theft and increasingly violent attacks on retail, retail employees, then she should say that, right? Mm. And, of course, you had Republicans also step in, like Representative Rodney Davis of Illinois, who said, I don't know what data she is talking about, but you don't really need so much data from someplace in San Francisco or California. All you need to do is walk down the street to the CVS at Eastern Market, which is, I guess, a mayor very, very close to the U.S. Capitol. I've seen on multiple occasions that I've been there buying things. Someone will come in. And raid a shelf and walk out. I have not witnessed this personally. Have you experienced something like this personally? Uh, I, I I was thinking about this. I think I may have, 
but I wasn't entirely sure what was happening, and it was something that was not that close to me, but it, it, it seemed to be in that kind of category. Like happening down the aisle or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at a store, but it was like a like a, a person, uh, like one person, and they were getting, like, security was kind of chasing them out, right? And they were just scooping stuff into the bag or something? or I didn't yeah. see that part, right? So yeah. this could have been someone that was maybe looking to do that and got kicked out before that happened. Uh, it could have been that. So I don't know. So that's why when I thought about it. I haven't seen it. Like, I can't say that I have. I've seen a couple of these videos. Some of this actually happened really close to my parents' house. Uh, at a oh, Home really? Depot, yeah, at a Home Depot in Lakewood, they um, it was reported in the news as well that a bunch of people just ran in there and started stealing a bunch of hammers. Hmm. Right now, this the sounds like the kind of thing that people would do to then go turn around and then do another crime. Right. Right. Uh, so that could be the, that could be the case. Obviously, there's tons of videos about this. That well, if you steal it in one store, you return it in the other, or you break it up and then you'll be getting all the cash back or whatever. There could be. be a number of yeah. things, right? They're, they're, they're... Well, the reason I, I ask that is because I don't have any firsthand experience. I have seen a few videos. Mm-hmm. The videos, as ridiculous as they are, because I've seen ones where just some dude rolling in and just in a garbage bag starts just dumping aisle after aisle of stuff. And as ridiculous as it is, I can't say that I've seen one that looks like it's a an immediate threat to the people working there because that's the kind of ironic part for me as the employees are just watching. Like they're just standing there. Even in one, the security guy was like, I don't know, I can't do anything about it. So, well, yeah. I'm not, and I'm not saying this is good. I think it's horrible. I'm just saying that I haven't seen that, that like right. violent piece of it as ridiculous as these things seem to be because it just seems like the employees are told by policy to not do anything. Well, and, and part of it, what makes these more unique is that it's not just like one person. There's like waves of people that are coming in. And I think there's a part of just being overwhelmed. Just yeah. literally, literally system being overwhelmed. Even when you do have security, et cetera, at that point, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, even Indiana Republican Rep- Representative Jim Banks, you know, said that AOC's comments were tone deaf and offensive to the family of Oakland security guard, Kevin Nishida. Now, this is a security guard who was killed in Oakland. Oh, yeah, that's right. And yeah. he was basically protecting a news crew who was covering, like, this robbery of, like, 12 other people that were going on in, in, in robbery. And he ended up getting, he ended was up getting shot. Was this the one that were – because Ga- uh, Newsom, the governor of California, has also asked the, the feds for support mm-hmm. here. Was this, like, that led to that? Pro- probably, yeah. right? Because there was um, – I, I saw that in terms of Governor Newsom uh, both demanding for more accountability and also mobilizing some police presence near – uh, highways that are close to some of these like big retail centers, right? Um, and there's been a number of these, right? There's a big one in Walnut Creek that happened um, at a very high end uh, store, Nordstrom, and this like very nice mall mm-hmm. where they stole about 125,000 in merchandise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, recently, police in LA arrested about 14 people in connection to 11 smash and grab robberies where they've stolen nearly 340,000 worth of merchandise, wow. right? So, it's been a number of these, right? And yeah. to your point, Governor Newsom. Mayor Garcetti, you know, have been increasing police presence. Um, and even both the L.A. police chief, Michael Moore, and Mayor Eric Garcetti have called for the end of, of a no-bail policy for some defendants. Uh, and this is what was, I guess, being used um, or being aimed at reducing overcrowding in L.A. County uh, jails yeah. during coronavirus pandemic. So some of those policies have been put, like, temporary. They're saying, hey, we got to remove them now because if someone, is get- someone should be held, they should be held, right? Yeah. And then you had the sort of other dynamic where the police union uh, leadership uh, is blaming California's Proposition 47 and the ACLU for supporting this ballot measure, right? Uh, under the Proposition 47, which was passed in 2014, shoplifting charges uh, regarding the theft of oh, yeah, 950 right. or less were lowered from felonies to misdemeanors. And now it's like a thousand, uh, $950 or something like that. That's what it is, $950, yeah, right? 950. So on that one, it, it used to be uh, 400 so anything that was a uh, theft that was 400, it was considered misdemeanor. 
and they basically they raise the number from four hundred inflation, to baby, inflation. Part of it, it is. is actually part of it is that. Um, so, anyways, courage or cringe? AOC calling uh, for nuanced conversation for a complex problem, or tone deaf comments from a politician refusing to face a growing problem? Yeah, and I tr- you know, uh, so if we're just if we're just going to analyze the pushback, I think the pushback, I'd, I'd probably come down on courage. I think that she should be held accountable. I think she gets a lot of, you know, she's young and she's, she's you know, I, I don't agree with her ideas, but I think generally speaking, she's kind of impressive. She's impassioned. She speaks, talks a good game, gets a lot of great press, gets a lot of coverage, mm-hmm. has a big, big platform. And so when you screw up, and I think you screwed up here, I think you got to get called out on it. I think it's okay to call you out on it. Jen Psaki, the woman who runs communications for the White House, mm-hmm. just today got asked about this. And her answer was like, yeah, we don't agree with her. Like, it, it was like very clear. Like, oh, specific about it. Because she, she had been asked, but they've been asked about this and they were, obviously you talked about it, that they think is it, that the pandemic has actually impacted or has been No, this was cause. a separate question. Yeah, I saw so that this one is, too. This, this was like, do specific. you agree with right. AOC that this is, we may not know if this is a real problem and read the tweet out and she's like, yeah, we do not agree. Governor Newsom has asked for help. Blah, blah, blah has asked for help. We've been working with these people for a long yeah, time. Yeah. This is a major issue. Like, so no, we don't agree. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think this is one where she maybe just kind of like sort of fell off the edge a little bit on this one. Um, and, you know, so I, I have to go courage on this one. Um, I, I just don't, I think she misspoke. I think she should be held accountable for it. Maybe some people didn't do it the right way or could have done it nicer or whatever, but that's just politics, life in the big city. So I'm a courage. Yeah. I'm also courage. I think AOC is wrong on this one. Um, I know, but although I do agree with her, the call for a nuanced conversation, I agree with that part. What then I don't do- use Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, that, that wasn't on Twitter. Remember, she, this is all based on an interview she was having. So, so she was. It was a, a statement from an interview where where, where it become where you try to put in question something that is that is happening where the 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 states that are being most impacted are needing like literally calling for help. It's like, hey, we can, you know, we can debate it. We can talk about like what is really causing, how to solve it. That's fine, um, but to say that that doesn't exist, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Or to put it even a little bit in question. The part that I did not care for and I disagree with is some of the pushback that that are that she's getting from some of these folks. Even like Representative Ronnie Davis, who's talking about that he's seen multiple occasions where he's buying things and someone has gone in there, raid a shelf and walk out. Like, really? Have you actually seen that? I think the likelihood of a representative being in multiple robberies at a, a, a Walgreens or CVS, their capital is zero to none. Mm. Multiple, like, which is literally what he's saying. He's not saying I've heard of. Yeah. I've seen multiple robberies in person. Like, really? Have yeah. you actually seen it that? It seems really unusual, but we can't know right. for sure. I'm just saying the yeah. likelihood of that. <laughs> Probably, but I mean. Significantly. So, yeah. That to me already started with like discount your your comments. It doesn't take away from the fact that she's wrong, but I'm like, dude, what are you talking about, right? Mm-hmm. All, and then these other representatives jumping in and saying that this is uh, some kind of tone deaf comment against the family of Kevin. And shit. No, is it? No, it is. This mm-hmm. is not saying. This is not the 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 representative, you know, taking a picture with his family, all holding guns while a mass shooting just happened. This is not that at all. Now, so those two things, like I hate people are are, are dumping on something. It's not, that yeah, it's not it the equivalent thing, but it does. Her comments do seem to minimize the fact that this is a reality to begin with. I or agree with you, and, I, and that's why and I think so she's things wrong. that are attached to that by their very nature would also diminish in reality. I would say, uh, uh, Representative Ronnie Davis, saying that what the hell, what data are you talking about? You're wrong. This is happening. 
completely agree with you. What I have an issue with, like talking about you being like a personal witness to multiple robberies, and then they, they were present. You can still call her out for tone death comments, but to me, like now you're trying to attach something yeah. else to it that is not there. And Unnecessary then, baggage. What politicians do, they attach a bunch of crap and to things you they have don't need the, to. That's the, why we don't get anything done. The police union leadership who's blaming Proposition 47. So wait a minute. A law that was passed in 2014, you're saying six years later is the direct cause of this, what seems to be a very unique thing that is happening over the last couple of months? Really? Yeah. What do you think is Ex- explain that. Explain that one to me. What do you think is driving this? I think part of it is, is I do think the pandemic created this dynamic because this started happening during the pandemic. Right. Right, during the uh, not just the pandemic, but like when people were rioting, this whole thing about like in masses doing coming in and 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 trying to uh, take rob over these stores, rob like, stores and do all that, that stuff. Ha- that's, that's the looting. That kind of mass looting started happening during the riot. And I think people sort of get the sense that if you have enough people doing it all at once, then nobody will pay attention. Then it's harder. It's not the pain. It's that it's much harder to stop it. Do you think any of the thinking or the messaging around uh, defunding police, minimizing police presence, has any impact on this? Like, hey, I'm just not. There's not going to be anybody who gets called to this. Nobody's. Uh, there's nothing to pay for. Nobody's going to get called. I think calling for defunding police and then police. Uh, departments that are actually have less money and therefore less force are two very different things. I don't know. Well, if like in dire- LA. Let's take LA. I don't know if there's a direct correlation to that. I think the bigger issue that I do think is part of it is that if there were things that were put in place during the pandemic in order to try to reduce population in prisons and therefore not holding people that really should be held, I could totally see that being the case. People say, well, hey, I know that right now. They're just letting you go right away. So yeah, the risk is okay. lower. Like yep. I, I could totally see that. All right, very good. So, um, so, both so we're both courage on that. Uh, whenever, whenever Jen Psaki says something against you, you know it's real. So there you go. Um, <laughs> all right, Twitter policy, Dan. I, I, I confess, I don't really understand everything about this, uh, this next one, but uh, you'll try to explain it to me, and so we can uh, get. To I will do my here. best. So, right wing activists are openly weaponizing Twitter's new private media policy. Right. Okay. So. Earlier this week, Twitter announced that it was updating its privacy policy so it can remove images of people that have been posted without their consent. And this was one of the very first things that the new CEO did. Like it was like day one, the new Twitter CEO. I don't know if it was the new CEO, Charlie. I think it may have come in right before the new CEO got announced. Okay. Me, uh, but but it's, but it's very correlated to the timing, right? Okay. So to the degree that he drove it, maybe. I, I, I don't know. But I think it, it may have gone live just a little before the, the new CEO came on. Okay. Um, now, under the current pol- – it's current policy, right? So it prohibits the publication of people's private information, which includes addresses, phone numbers, identity documents, and medical records. That was, the I guess, under the previous policy, not current. Now, in this new private media, uh, basically, he's adding private media to the list, Right. Um, because the sharing of such material could be used to harass, intimidate, or reveal identities of individuals, right? Now, before removing any image or video, Twitter will require first that there's a person, a first-person report or report from an authorized representative to establish whether or not the individual had consented to it being shared. I just checked, and it was on his day one. It wasn't it was literally day his first day on the job. He introduced a new private information policy. Okay. Yeah. So, and then once established uh, it, that it has been shared without permission, then it will go ahead and proceed to remove it. Right mm-hmm. now, according to Twitter, they said from the beginning, the, po- the policy change does not apply when the, when there is public interest at stake or in an emergency situation. And this is going to be the crux of this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, well, who gets right? to determine whether or not there's public interest at stake? So, and how does this apply to journalism, too? Because that's the crazy well, thing well, about that's, this. Well, that's, that's where the people have been finding the loophole, right? So yeah. when, when Twitter put this out, they put a, a tweet responding to their own tweet of, of this new policy, mm-hmm. which is say, let's unpack what this means. So this policy update will help curb the misuse of media to harass, intimidate, and reveal the identities of private individuals 
which disproportionately impact women, activists, dissidents, and members of minority communities. Okay, like what? What's an example from the popular culture that I would know of when this has happened? Uh, I would say, so as an example, let's say someone is... is um, Someone is uh, is accusing someone of sexual harassment, and it's and it's 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 a private. Uh, it's not it's not come out public. And someone goes out and takes a picture of them and reveals it. Uh, my guess is that's a case where Twitter would be like, "Shut that down." Okay, so somebody's ab- sexually abused me, and I want to share that person's face with the world. No, 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 the opposite. The it's, opposite. Yeah, let's say it's uh it's someone that is you know many cases you have like a like um uh, uh someone that is accusing like Chris Cuomo got accused, right? Yeah, right. That's what so I was the person that accused them. Um, I don't know who the person is. Someone can say, oh, they're just trying to get Chris Cuomo trying to hit him on the ground. I'm going to go and, put, and post pictures of this person, who they are, and report them. And that it's person like doxing, didn't give us, almost. Yeah, and that person didn't, get, didn't give permission of their images. I think, I think to that's... To be used. By the way, I'm totally making up. I don't know because that's part, yeah. of the, that's part of the challenge that you have here, right? Yeah. Okay. So this policy immediately created confusion, right? And now the policy seems to be getting abused by some malicious actors, right? So journalists... Left-wing activists and self-described sedition hunters reported their accounts had been locked for sharing publicly available images of anti-maskers, anti-vaccine protesters, and suspected capital insurrectionists. Publicly available uh, images where? So if I didn't give my consent, period, to begin with, and you find my picture somewhere that I also didn't get consent to. Yeah. So an example of this, let's, let's, give it, let's, let's talk about a very specific example. So during the standoff in January between anti-maskers and mall officials, and an, an LA reporter um, had tweeted a picture of this anti-mask protest, right? Okay. So he reported it, took pictures of this clash between anti-maskers and police and mall officials, right? Okay, so let's stop you right there, though, mm-hmm. for a second. I don't know the law here, so maybe you do. Explain no. it to me. At that moment, the journalist, because this is my big question, is mm-hmm. about journalism. That guy takes a picture of this right. protest. At that moment, I haven't given my consent for that picture. Correct. But because it's journalism, he can sue. He can do it, right? Because it's for public interest. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. somebody who hates my guts on Twitter is going to reshare that. They're not a journalist, but they're going to reshare that image. Well, what does this policy mean for that? It, it, it wouldn't mean it, it. It shouldn't be impacted in either one of them because the image itself is of public interest. It's already been publicly available. So. It, it it goes back to the to the that account that initially posted it. If it's of public interest, then it is of public interest. And if it isn't, it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Now that reporter that did this, right? What happened with him is with the policy policy change, someone filed a report on Twitter of this coverage, which led to a reporter being locked out of his own Twitter account. So someone say exactly what you just described, like, hey, I was maybe protesting, but I didn't give this person permission to uh, tap to, my picture, to have my yeah. picture, and therefore they shut down that account. Yeah. Right. Um, so as of Friday morning, several accounts on Twitter have been that track open source images of right wing extremists and participants in the Capitol riot have been hit by suspensions under the private media mm. policy. Right. Uh, and to this, basically, Twitter has acknowledged that their policy is being abused. Right. And it seemed to be a number of of a large amount of coordinated and malicious activity that led to several errors on Twitter enforcement. And Twitter says specifically to this, that we've corrected those errors and are undergoing an internal review to make certain that this policy is used as intended to curb this misuse of media to harass or intimidate private individuals, right? The other, way, the other one that could be is think about like leaked information or leaked data from – people have done this, right, where they stole a phone of a celebrity and then they leak all the images of that of that celebrity. That would right. be another example of of, da- we just, of we just talked to somebody like that of that images that you should do that professionally, right? Of images that that they didn't they didn't uh, approve. Of yeah. Releasing, so what right? impact does this have though then on journalism? Right back to that point. So if I'm doing an undercover video, it undercover sh- it shouldn't have an it shouldn't impact journalism, which is really what 
if the, if the, I think if if it's based on the intent that they had, it shouldn't impact journalism because along with the journalism being done is of public interest. So they put it under that umbrella. Yeah, but, but the practicality a, of that sure. has been that there we all these journalists have gotten their account, <laughs> you know, blocked right. because of this, and people are like going after them pretty hard <clears throat> that don't want to be you know reported on. Yeah, I know one of the people who's very strongly against this. I just saw something recently today was the guy who runs Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, precisely because he he says that. You know, journalism has to include undercover stuff. And if by definition, if I'm doing something undercover, I'm not getting that person's consent. Right. Right. So, so in that case is, you know, Twitter has said that the, you know, they added that the company will grant exceptions and allow images of people who may be part of a newsworthy event to the public interest value. Right. So it goes back to in that case, undercover is that a newsworthy event and a public interest value then therefore allow it or not, right? And then they decide whether or not it is. Yeah. <clears throat> there, yeah, that's, I mean, so you're this, right. It's going gonna, it's gonna to rest on that. So there's been a lot sure. of calls, of course, for Twitter to yeah. first just admit that they got this policy wrong and revert it and then go back to the drawing board, right? So courage or cringe, Twitter's bumpy rollout of new policy only temporary downside to creating a safer environment. Hmm. Or great example that more censorship is rarely the answer. You go first. Uh, I think is uh, it's cringe on Twitter. Um, the the thing that I that I don't understand on the the messiness. I think the policy itself is obviously creates some uh, a lot of questions, but having reporters accounts locked who are reporting on newsworthy like that doesn't seem to be that difficult. Like that example that that I that I mentioned about this guy reporting on the standoff between protesters and this and the police. It wouldn't take very long to figure out that that is news that's being reported it's yeah. not the same thing as to your point as something that is you know that that you're recording with a person knowing and it's very different and it's not like public not in a, in a, in a public venue mm. so to me this seems to be like they create a policy with no real way to police it that the usage of that policy and frankly didn't think about uh the ways that they needed to go and verify because it becomes pretty easy to just report report content they don't want it to be to be out there at least stifle voices that are out there trying to report on news yeah so the rollout seems like just really messy i think that they maybe the thing that i don't understand enough is all the use cases which you asked me what are all the use cases they're really protecting for and if so is this really the best tool to protect for those use cases i, I just don't know what those use cases all are yeah i've been given enough thought but just based on the rollout it has to be to me it has to be cringe because there seems to be some very some obvious things that they could have prepared for better yeah Especially as it relates to, I would even say, even have a, a, a special segment for reporters to say, if these get reported, our first action is not to take down the channel, is actually to review the content and then come back if you already are assigned as someone that is verified as a reporter. Does that make, that make sense? Yeah. Like, you almost take a two-step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, so that's it why just, I'm cringe. I'm a cringe, too, although I, for a lot less intelligent reasons, perhaps, than that. It's just, you know, to me, the, the idea of... Um, a lot of this, you know, decision making on what of what is worthy being entirely on them is really troubling to me when I know the way the sort of ideological lean that they, they tend to have. There was a piece two days ago mm -hmm. that came out in the New York Post. We, we didn't talk about, but I just I, I just looked up in the background here just to kind of make the, the case here. But it's um, uh, Federal Election Commission data, and they found 99 percent, 99 of online political contributions made by Twitter employees in 2021 went to Democrats. Hmm. 99, according to Federal Election Commission right. data. Hard for me to get behind, you know, 
a, a, that reality and then saying we'll determine what's worthy in terms of what's newsworthy. What's newsworthy yeah. Right now, of course, it, the alternative is leave it open and potentially some people get caught in the crosshairs and some like the stuff that happens and it does happen. Right, people get outed, people get. You know, revenge porn, all these different right, things. Right. I think those are some of the things that they're trying to protect for, which and I, I understand. I get that. I and get, I get that. that. And I, I get, get that. that. And it's just, but the solution is, seems like we're going to put a policy in and the edge cases, don't worry about it. We'll decide. And that to me is like equally problematic. Maybe not equally, but it's, it's, it is also problematic. So Do you think an know. answer could be having the Mount Olympus like Facebook? Well, you know, it's interesting because like I think about that now and I go, well, I mean, there's a little bit of wisdom to this. I don't know. There I don't a think bit of, they, I know you give them a lot of help. I'm like, well, it's either you have this group of people that are unrelated to the company make the decision or you have the company do it. I'll tell you what, it's not an at scale solution, but it is a solution for big ticket items for something of like, how do we feel about journalism? Yeah, it could be that. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. yeah, maybe. Who knows? Zuckerberg got it right. I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. Go meta. Go meta. All right. Um, awesome. Anything else? Jesus? No. All right. Stephen Chuck on the show next week. Friend yes. of the show. Friend of the show. Who wimped out this week, did not want to come on the show. I'm not prepared. So he'll be. Uh, wow. He'll be. Uh, Make sure to tell him you said that. Oh, he'll hear it. Here. He'll hear. I'm calling. <laughs> I'm calling him out. Uh, no, it should be a good conversation next week. Um, all right. So remember to subscribe, folks. Please. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, follow the show. Share it with a friend. Uh, if you're hearing us for the first time on Revolver, welcome to the show. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We'll see you again next time on TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/slash activecash.